Side, 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 side. Today's episode of Come On Inside the Podcast is sponsored by HBO Films' new movie, OG, premiering this Saturday at 10 p.m. OG stars Jeffrey Wright as Lewis, who is in the final weeks of a 24-year prison sentence in a maximum security prison. OG takes an intimate and unflinching look at the journey of one man at the precipice of freedom. After nearly a quarter century behind bars, he must confront the impact of his actions and the challenges of re-entering society. Groundbreaking, it was filmed on location at Pendleton Correctional Facility in Indiana, and its cast includes several of the men incarcerated there. The film premiered at the 2018 Tribeca Film Festival, where Wright won Best Actor in a U.S. Narrative Feature Film. Be sure to tune in to OG, streaming now on HBO Now and HBO Go. It is Come On, Son, the podcast. Y'all know me. I am Ed Lover. Now, a couple little weeks ago, but oh, first of all, I got to give all due respect to my man, Combat Jack. i never forget that. Combat Jack is the overseer of everything I do as far as podcasting is concerned because he's the one that put me in the game. Now, a few weeks back, I did a podcast. It was about a TV show, and I had a bunch of young ladies that were strippers here, and I got a great amount of feedback from everybody, but one particular woman who's the producer of that show, I told her that I would have her back so we could do a one-on-one podcast because her story is so incredibly inspirational and interesting. And I have a lot of stuff to talk to her about. Shantae Pages here. Shantae! Hey, hey, hey. How are you, darling? I'm good. I'm How- so happy to be back. Tell everybody about your show that you have on right now. Beyond the Pole. Beyond the Pole. Is about everything surrounding the life of an exotic dancer. Yes. I have six exotic dancers. Um, a few don't dance anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I have Coach Stormy, who I brought in to kind of help them navigate and find their way into their businesses beyond the pole. And people can find that where? UMC.TV. UMC.TV. And congratulations, it's doing well. Thank you. It's you doing guys, extremely well. You're doing extremely well. Yes. People are talking about it. Word of mouth is very, very positive. And everything is going extremely well. And we touched on a little bit the last podcast because you had two of the young ladies here with me. And people just thoroughly enjoyed them once they opened up and started talking. I got them to start talking. Right. And people really enjoyed, you know, a behind-the-curtain kind of look. Mm-hmm. at what life is truly like for an exotic dancer in this world. and But before that, we had talked a little bit about your career. And I was like, well, I got to have you back to do your own podcast. Right. So now let's talk about Shantae Page exclusively. Okay, let's do it. When did your career start? Where did it start? When did the first thing you was doing in the entertainment business? Uh, The first thing, well, it started when I was at Howard University, actually. Okay, did you go to Howard when Diddy was in Howard? Diddy left, and I, you know, he he left the year I came. Okay. But yeah, but I know him because he would always come back. And, right, you know, homecomings and all that Mark other Pitts, stuff. All of us, Chris Hicks, Ryan Chris Glover. Hicks, Ryan Glover, Mark, all of y'all, uh, all of us, Howard alums, all of us. Yep. Matt what was Middleton. that like? Life like? It was amazing. And and the fact that we're all still so connected now. Right, you guys are eighteen, you nineteen powerful, years old. You know. Yeah, yeah. Where are you from originally? Born in New York, uh-huh. raised in the DMV. 
Okay, so you were already in there, out there, yes. in the DMV area. That is D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, for those of y'all who don't know what the DMV is, because you'd be yes. surprised at who listens to the show, and they will DM me, what the fuck is the DMV? Right. D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Home of the go-go music. Yeah, home of go-go. So out of all the schools that you could go to when you mm-hmm. graduated from high school, why did you decide to go to Howard? I had to. Like, I just, I love the area. Um, and, you know, I would always go to the homecomings in high school. I would always go to parties at Howard and the homecomings. And I was like, I got to be here. <laughs> I had a full scholarship to Bowie College. And I chose to go to Howard and pay. Really? Yeah. What was that? Uh, your parents said what? They rolled with it. I mean, I took student loans. They helped where they could, and yeah, they 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 rolled with it. And when you and when you when you went to Howard, did you pick a major off the bat? What was your major? No, I, business management was my major, but I didn't pick it immediately. I picked it to get out. <laughs> what do you mean? You, I, I, for everybody I, I, that I, didn't go to college, <laughs> what do you mean by that? I, that was the. That was the easiest um, major that I could get out quick because I didn't I didn't you know, I knew what I wanted to do. And when I saw Diddy's success, I was like, hey, mom, I don't I don't have to stay in college. Look what Diddy's doing. She was like, no, you stay in your ass in college. So you did the whole ride, the whole four years. Yeah. About four and a half. Yep. So your mom was like, hell no. You know, I don't know who Diddy is. You're not following behind him. I don't, you know. When did you know that you wanted to be in the entertainment business? When did At you Howard. know? At Howard. What, so what sparked it? I started managing a group called Quattro. Okay. Um, I brought in uh, Terry Ross, who was one of the noontime partners. Mm-hmm. He wasn't noontime back then, but um, I brought him in to, to manage them with me because he was the money guy. Right. And um, Michael Ely was in that group. Michael Ely, the actor? Michael Ely, the actor, was in that group. Michael Ely can sing? Yes, he can. Really? Yep. So we must, uh, in the future, we might be seeing some, maybe some Broadway or some stuff out of Mike. He doesn't like to sing, but he can sing. <laughs> and he hates me to tell the what story. What do you mean but, he don't I like mean, to sing? He, he doesn't like to How sing. How is he in a group if he don't like to sing? Well, he did back then, but now he's like, oh, I'm an actor. You know, don't tell people, you know, I can sing. I'm like, no. He can sing. No, it's cool to be well-rounded. What yeah. is he talking about? Is yeah. he tripping? Mm-hmm. You better let them vocal pipes go. Who did the group approach you, this group, Quattro, and say, hey, what, will you manage us, Shantae? I don't remember how it happened. Um, and what did you know about managing the group? Nothing. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. Nothing. But I got that group to Gene Griffin. Okay. That guy. Yes. Um, basic Black. Uh... Teddy Riley was in the mix. Like, so that's how I know I know Aaron and Damien to this day from, from that. Right. And Gene Griffin. Because yeah, Gene GR Productions. Gene managed my group and and them. So it was all one big melting pot. Okay. He didn't he didn't end up doing anything with the group, but for me, I you know, I felt accomplished because Gene was so big in the game back then. Yeah. You know? Huge. Yeah. Because Guy was out of control. Out of control. They yeah. were huge. They were the and biggest Chucky thing Thompson ever. Thompson used to charge me like a hundred dollars for 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 a track. Chucky Thompson. Chucky Thompson did all the records. Six degrees of separation. Yes. Chucky Thompson. Yes. When I lived in West Orange, my first marriage, mm-hmm. I lived right there. Chris Lighty, God rest his soul, lived right next door to me. Yes. Right next door to Chris was Chucky Thompson. Chucky Thompson. <laughs> I used to go to his basement. They would record. Yep. Yeah. 
the amazing producer Chucky Thompson who can replay anything. Chucky Thompson, if y'all don't know who Chucky Thompson is, look up his Wikipedia because Chucky Thompson Mary is J. Blige, Biggie. Amazing. Faith. Amazing. Yeah. And Chucky Thompson is the kind of producer that if he likes the sound of a certain record, instead of sampling it, he'll replay it. Mm-hmm. And he'll look and find out what instrument they use to play that certain sample, the original, and he'll go find the instrument. He's a beast. Yeah, he's a he's a fucking monster. Mm-hmm. So all of you guys are in eight in Howard together? Everybody. In that DC area. Yep. Wow. Chucky's studio was walking distance from Howard. Oh wow. Yeah. Wow. So you're talking about what, nineteen ninety nine well nineteen ninety two? Right. Nineteen ninety two, nineteen ninety one. Yeah, when when one of the greatest eras of music yeah. period. When everything had started. Everything, Everything is bubbling. Yep. Everybody is is doing this. So you get out of Howard, graduate, and move to New York the very next day. The next day. The next day. Had you been to New York a lot? Yeah, I was. I kept going back and forth. Like I wanted the music business. Okay. I just didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I had to be in it. Where Where did you live when you first moved to New York? Uh, I moved in with with Chuck Bone's wife. Carla Bone and my my friend, yeah, and my friend Ayana Brown. Okay, so they were roommates. I became the third roommate. Used to hang my clothes on like a little, you know, (laughs) clothes hook. Right. Yeah, and that's where I lived. And then Carla eventually moved out. You know, she she got her own place. She she got with Chuck Bone. Right. You know, and now um, what borough? What borough were you guys? Ayana and I were roommates. We were we were in West New York, New Jersey, right there. Right there with Chante, the view. Yep. I used to live in West New York, New Jersey. Yep. yep. I raised my kids in Edgewood. Y'all lived in the Galaxy? We lived in the Galaxy. Wow. You probably lived in the Galaxy where it wasn't much on River Road at that time. nothing on River Road. Us. Well, that's what That was it. The, the Galaxy. Galaxy was the and only Damian thing there. And lived right in the other building. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And yeah, Tretch was, lived downstairs. Tretch was downstairs. Yeah. And then when they... when and they, Bla- uh, Blaze. Blazy Blaze. Yeah, Blocks had Kitson's husband at the time. Right. El, uh, yeah, Elliot Blaze or whatever. He had... um. The Galaxy was the shit. The Galaxy had a movie theater in the building. Yes. I, I was going to move into the Galaxy at I one mean, time. We were living on a budget, but we were balling. <laughs> we were balling. Was that car wash? That we car wash wasn't it. there yet, was it? The car wash wasn't there, but we had a movie theater. We had the Galaxy Kitchen. Like, yes. if it snowed, we didn't have to go anywhere. Yeah, you certainly did. We just walked through the building and yeah. go get something to eat. Because y'all were up on, uh, the entrance was up on, um, it's in West New York. Damn, I used to live over there. I can't remember the name of the street. Weehawken? Yeah, yeah, right there yeah. in Weehawken. Mm-hmm. So y'all was up there. Main Street. Was it Main Street? Boulevard East. Boulevard East. Yep. That's exactly what Boulevard it is. Boulevard East. Right there. And then when I went to L.A. and I came back, for a while I lived in a hotel, then I went and looked for an apartment, and I moved in Port Imperial. Okay. I lived in Port Imperial. Then I left Port Imperial, and I moved up to Edgewater. Wow. And then when my wife and I split and we got divorced, she stayed in West Orange in the house, and then she moved to another place, and then she brought the kids closer to me. In Edgewater. So that's where my kids went to, to public school and high school and junior high school, all in Edgewater, New Jersey. Yeah. I yeah. love I loved it over there. Yeah. Absolutely. Until they raised it. the fucking toll prices. And Until then I was like, I got to get out of here. Right. How much was the toll when you first was like, It was $4. It was $4. When I, it was $4. Yeah. It was yeah. four damn dollars. And when I, I used to ride the little jitney bus over. 
<laughs> had to get back before they cut it off at night. Wow. Yeah. Or you have to take a cab. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy that you lived in the damn galaxy. Yeah. And Usher used to sleep on my couch all the time. Why? Because Usher was recording with Puffy, and Puffy, when he wanted to go do whatever he wanted to go do, he would call us and be like, oh, can y'all watch Usher? Can you watch Usher? <laughs> he was a kid. Yeah. I'm wow. like, I'm like 22 years old. He's, you know, he was like 14, 15. I don't know. He's yeah. a little boy. He was a little boy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. In this day and age, you'd be like, no, I can't watch him. But back then, you'd be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we ain't doing nothing. Right. Drop them off. <laughs> what did Puff had a cabriolet in? I don't know what he had back then. Puff Mark, had a cabriolet. Mark Pitts, him were all, everybody was biggie. Like everybody was up in uh, Scarsdale. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, was it Scarsdale? Wow. Because I remember when Puff, when I was in Hackensack, Puff lived around the corner from me. Yeah. When I was in Hackensack back in the days. Yeah. And he had a red cabriolet with a white top. Oh, uh, that might have been the days. <laughs> that might have been He the was days. right around, he was not too far from me mm-hmm. in Hackensack, New Jersey. And then a lot of people started moving over there also. Well, he, that, no, this is when he was in, um, Scarsdale? Upper, upper New York. Okay. Yeah. Is that yeah. Scarsdale? Yeah, that's why, yeah. yeah. Almost so, Mount Vernon yep, and all of that. Yep, yeah, that's yeah. That's when he was living there. That's when yeah. he was a wild boy. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Puff. Shout out to Puff all day and day, Puff. And, and, and only if you know him. If yes. you know him, know him, yeah. can you call him Puff? Oh, I still call him Puff. Right. You fuck around, I call him Sean sometimes. <laughs> right. So, boy, I know your mama. Right. All right, so yes. stop it. I stop love it, Sean. Stop it, Sean. Stop it, Sean. So, what's the first job that you got? So, you now you're living you're living in the galaxy in New Jersey. You just moved there. What was the job hunt like for you? I started waiting tables at a restaurant called Jezebel's, and I know you I, know that. Of course restaurant. I know yes. Jezebel's. I never waited tables in my life. Um, and not That was like the spot. That was the spot. This is before Puff had uh, um, Justin's. Yes. Jezebel's was the shit. Alberta, rest in peace. Yes. She saw something in in me. She hired me. Um, So I was working there and the coffee shop. No way. Waiting tables. So my mom was like, you graduated? My mom and dad, you graduated from college, you're waiting tables? Right. But I was making like... $40,000, $50,000 Forty, fifty thousand dollars a year at the time, waiting tables. Right, like we were making some money, and back then, you know, that was a lot yeah. of money. Yeah, hell yeah. So I figured, you know, with that, I could go to parties, I could mingle, I could meet. You know, everybody who was anybody was coming to that restaurant. Yes, you yes, had the Denzel right. Washingtons to you know the L.A. Reeds. Yes, everybody, everybody, it was the black who's yes, who. everybody hit Jezebel's yes. at one point or another. Yes. Absolutely, it was sometimes you couldn't even get in Jezebel's. Yeah, they didn't give a damn who you were. No, you wasn't getting in there because that's played Spike Lee. Everybody yeah. was in Jezebel's. Absolutely, everybody. So that's what I did. I did it for like two years. Uh huh. Um, still with your eyes on the prize of the music. Still with my building. eyes on the prize. And I started, you know, hosting events and doing parties with the gas station with Chuck Bone. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, yes. Small world. Small world. Right. Um, just, you know, I, I just was like, I got to figure out a way to navigate and get in. And I didn't I didn't know how, but I was like, I'm going to figure it out. So I got with Jay Norris, who was who went to Howard, too. Mm-hmm. Um, we started a company called Net Squared. Okay. Um, and we did parties. Uh, oh shoot! What was the name? Um, was it Opera? What? Where did we do? It was a party. Envies. 
Okay. Did you ever come to MVs? Yes. We did MVs, and that was another everybody who was a who's yes. who. But I I made it so if if you knew me, like it was cool. Like I would get you in. Right. So I had Chris Lighty's the puppy. Everybody coming to the door saying oh, Shantae Page or what you know. So right. I figured, okay, that's how I'm gonna get my name out there. Right. <laughs> so that's what I did. Oh, Mike wow. Tyson, everybody came. Yeah, everybody went through that yeah. one, at one point. And then when when did you get your first official music business job? That was um, just just by happenstance. I was at lunch one day, and a, an entertainment attorney said to me, you know, Jeff Finster is looking for an assistant. And I was like, yeah, but I'm making too much money waiting tables to uh -huh. take a cut to be an assistant and make $20,000 a year, and I'm making fifty. dollars um, but then, you know, he was just kind of explaining it to me. And he was like, well, if you want to get in, you got to figure it out. And you, you know, get in. Don't stay in assistant zone too long. Navigate and, you know, and right. move on. So I thought about it. Went in and met with Jeff. Jeff made it clear he had already made his decision to hire somebody else. But based on the relationship with the attorney, he took he took the, inter you know, the interview with me. Okay. And so I'm sitting there like. Like, okay, what the well, fuck am I doing yeah, here then? Yeah. So I sit there, I talk to him, and at the end of the interview, he was like, I like you. Like, can you take a typing test? Because I really need you to type. It's like, oh, shit, I don't know how to type. So he, <laughs> so he was like, can you type? I'm like, yeah. So I take the typing test. I suck. Right. And so he was like, I really need somebody that could type. Like, I, like I, my mind was set to hire somebody else. You sold me, but you can't type. I said, give me two days. I'll go take a course in typing. I'll come back, and I'll, you know. And I'll rock it. And that's what I did. Oh, wow. So you really, really wanted that position. At that point. It and was, Jeff Finster was, yeah. was at, at what label? At Jive. At Jive. Jive. And who was on Jive at the time? Mm. Who they have? R. Kelly. Okay. <laughs> the infamous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, that was around the whole time of Aaliyah. Okay. Um, Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys, Tribe Called Quest, Akinelli. Some uh, pretty heavy hitters yeah. over there at Jive at yeah. the time. Huge Joe, right? That's how I know Joe. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So you actually went and and took a typing course. Yep. <laughs> Came back and rocked it. You typed, did. typed like seventy words a minute, and it, he was like, like he was just like baffled, like wow. Right. Like, how yeah. you go from not knowing right. how to type at all to typing? <laughs> right. So he hired you. So he hired me. Starting salary was what? I don't even remember, but it was low. I mean, I took a pay cut, but what? Alberta was so amazing. She never let somebody work Saturdays only because she was like, you've got to work, you know, you've got to work the slow days and, you know, the great the right. days that are like really lucrative. But she knew what I was trying to do. So she allowed me to take that job and still work Saturdays with her. Wow. For the first year. So I could, you know, so I could keep supplement your income. Your yeah. income. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So how many hours were you doing over a job? That was full-time. Full-time. Like, Eight hours? Yeah, no, like 12. 12 hours, and then? Then I would go do parties. Then on Saturdays, I would do Jezebel. Then I had a side hustle with Noontime, and I was, you know, trying to sell their tracks. Yeah. And you had a side hustle with Noontime? Yeah. Who, who were some of the people you were meeting with to try to sell Noontime tracks? Because they oh, blew up. Oh, Lior Cohen, uh, Kevin Lyles. Like, I was meeting with Shout them. out to Kev. I just yeah. saw Kev. Yeah, that's my guy. So I was I was meeting with everybody. Like I like I would call I, I didn't have any shame. Right. I would, you know, call and make it happen. Yeah. 
Yeah, anybody at Jive were you trying to sell or you was just yeah, kept Dave that Finster separate? at the time was like he was <laughs> the big dog at the time and right. I was just you would have thought it was crack. I kept trying to push their track. <laughs> and then finally, um Dave was like, you know what? These she got some she's got some really hot cats. Like right. we need to do something with them. Uh-huh. Um so eventually it it, it kinda caught on. Wow. Wow. How long did you stay? An assistant to Jeff Finston. Why did you move on? I know you moved on. I moved on. Um, I don't feel good about this, but he asked me to commit to a year. Uh-huh. But when the opportunity arose um, from Brett Wright, who was going over to Volcano Records mm-hmm. uh, at the time to start a new label, Brett wanted to bring me in. So I, I quit. Oh, wow. Eight months in. Eight months in, you quit and you go with Brett. Over yeah, to Volcano. Volcano. Now, who was Vo- Volcano? Was a subsidiary or something? Cause it was a subsidiary. Always, for those of y'all who don't know, maybe listening to this podcast, there's a lot of subsidiaries. Yes. It's like a parent company, and then you'll hear about this label, that they gave somebody a label, and that label's a subsidiary. This label was a subsidiary of the major label. Volcano was under who? Volcano was under, um, uh, not even, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm having a brain freeze. <laughs> but yeah, they, they were a subsidiary. Uh, Kevin Zinger, I think his name was at the time, was, um, he he kind of spearheaded it. Uh-huh. Um, and and uh, Brett brought you over. Brett brought me over. As what? His assistant? Because you weren't as, trying to be no right, assistant anymore, I made right? that very clear. So right. I was the, I was kind of the marketing and, and uh, the marketing the marketing arm, but I was also his assistant. So I had two titles. Right. But the assistant title wasn't what we called me, you know? Okay. So, we, we, you know, he would say she's my, she's my, you know, marketing person. But, right. you know, if I had to answer his phone, I had to answer his phone. Oh, okay. And who, and who uh, did you guys have over there? Over well, on that Akinelli label? actually came over there. Akinelli came, um, they did a deal with Gerald Levert. And um, that was called Global Soul. Okay. So they had for his own, own label. For his own label. Were the Rude Boys under that umbrella? Uh, no, I don't think so. He had the OJ's under that umbrella. He okay. had a few other artists. That's how I met Leonard Brooks. Okay. Well, actually, I met Leonard Brooks before that. Shout out to Leonard really Brooks, yes. my man. Yes. I ain't seen Len in a minute. Troy from Five Thousand One Flavors introduced yep. me to Leonard. Yep. I know Troy. I haven't seen Leonard in a long time. Shout out to Five, man. Yep. Wow. It's, wow. It's, it's like a small, small Yeah, world. Six, definitely six degrees of separation. So Leonard had an office in there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we were we were trying to make things happen there. And then all of a sudden, Kevin had a different, a different mindset. He got with Dallas Austin. Mm-hmm. And Dallas was starting, I think, Rowdy. Was it Rowdy Records? Rowdy, yeah. yeah. Uh, he had a few artists. Dallas was popping and hot at the time. Dallas so was on fire. Dallas wanted to bring him his own team. Okay. So we walk in one day and we all have pink slips. No way. Yeah. We walk in one day and we all have pink slips. And I was so offended by it because I was like, they didn't even bother to meet me or, you know, to see my worth or talk to me or, and it was him and Dave Gates in the office. And I walked in and said, and, and I love Dave Gates, by the way. Yeah, shout out to Dave. But um, I walked in the office and I was like, you know, you didn't take the time to get to talk to me and see, you know, my worth or anything about me. And I was like, but I promise you, you're going to see me again. And Dallas was like, what? And every time he sees me, like, we just laugh. 
because yeah, that's that's how I felt. I would I was pissed at the time. Yeah. But then somebody said to me, "How how do you say that without using a few expletives?" Yeah, uh, I probably did. Oh, okay. it wasn't it wasn't nice. Uh, it really wasn't. God nice. know me, I'd have walked in yeah. there and said, "Really, I, I, this is really, y'all gonna do? It you don't really meet with me?" Fuck you. Yeah. yeah, some fuck you shit. Yeah. You know what? Fuck both of y'all. Yeah, y'all yeah. see me again. Yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> but somebody was like, "You're never nothing in the music business until you get fired." So I was like, "Okay, I'm on my way up now." Right. That's how I looked at it. <laughs> So where do you go after that? I was jobless. For how long? Uh, it started to hurt, I want to say, for about a good year. So I started doing all these little side hustles, and I I did I uh, did a, um, a charity golf tournament in the Bahamas. Somebody hired me to do that. You know, I'll talk my way into anything. Right. I never did that in my life. <laughs> but I got all of the... B listers at the time who were A listers now right. out to the Bahamas. Uh, the Chris Spencer's, the um, uh, Ke- um, Damon Wayans, uh, Wayans. Um, who else? I even got uh, Jermaine Jackson out there. Oh wow! Yeah, Jermaine Jackson ain't never been no B lister. I, I don't. They I don't were give all a damn. there. I was like, he's royalty. Yeah, that's like, royalty. I, I, I don't know how I did this. Or it, I, it was myself and, and um, Lorna Lightfoot. Uh-huh. who uh, was one of my partners in that squared with Jay Norris. Right. And so we did that. So I just did little, you know, side hustles to keep the bills paid, but um, it was getting tight. So there was a um, a music convention in Nevada. Which I, I forgot what it was, what it's called. Mm. Um, you, you probably remember, but they would always do it in Nevada because then all the, all the radio people would go yeah. to all the bunny ranches and everything. Yeah, yeah. So it was in Nevada, and Tina Davis, shout out to Tina Davis. Shout out Tina Davis. She's like, you should come. And I was like, you know, my money's tight right now. I can't go right. to no, you know, music convention. And she was like, no, well, you could stay with me, you know. She was at, she was at, um, where was she at? Uh, what was the big rap label back then? Uh, Def Jam? She was at Def Jam. Right. So Def Jam was covering her room. So she was like, you could stay in my room. You don't have to cover it. Just get out there. Right. Um, so I did. Okay. And so I'm playing the slot machine, and then somebody taps me on my back, and it's Kedar Massenburg. Oh, wow. And Kedar is like, you know, I've been I've been watching you for a minute, and I've been seeing you move and your hustle and everything you're doing. He's like, I want you to come work with me, but you got to give up everything you're doing. You can only work with me at Kedar Entertainment. I don't want to hear about you doing parties and this and that and golf tournaments. I don't want to hear about none of that. Right. And what are your thoughts? I said, okay, if the salary's right, I'll do it. Right. So that's that's what happened. And he told me, write it down on a napkin what I wanted. And I did. Right there while you're at the slot machine? Yeah. Right there. I was like, oh, I hit the jackpot. Wow. So I wrote, wrote it down. And um, he was like, get with Kojo, who was his GM at the yeah, time. Yeah, shout out to Kojo. Yeah, and he was like, um, y'all, you know, we'll work it out. Just like that. Just like that. You wrote down what you needed yeah. to survive. Right. Plus some. Yeah. A and little bit looked- more on top. I kinda I kinda undercut myself. But you know, you do that. You yeah. don't know any better. Yeah, and you looking at just that paper, you say here, he looks at it, say, Okay, get the Kojo mm-hmm. and you're good. Yeah, when and, I, what, when we get and back, what you know when we get back from right? Did you think Nevada, he was bullshitting? Because you know people no, in this business bullshit. You I knew Kedar wasn't because Kedar was one of those like you know he's abrasive. Yes, you know so I, I knew he meant business. Right. 
And he would come to all the parties I did, you know, uh-huh. so I did know him from right. in that world. And brought you in over to Motown? Brought me over to Kedar Entertainment. Kedar Entertainment. just started Kedar Entertainment. Oh, wow. Just started it. Okay. Yeah. Under what capacity over at Kedar? Um, I was director of publishing and production. So I handled, because he, most of the artists like Erica and uh, Chico, all of those artists. They were all were, signed to Kedar Entertainment. Kedar, yeah. Okay. Kedar Entertainment and Kedar, they had, he signed them publishing deals too. Okay. So Gerald Isaac, I was like shopping his tracks. Uh-huh. You know, the same thing I, I, I was doing for Noontime, Noontime right. before I was doing for Kedar. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So who was at Kedar when you got over there? Me, him, and Kojo. That's Me, it. him, Kojo. And Lynn Scott started. Lynn Scott started shortly, I think, after. What and artist? Sincere Thompson. Shout sincere. out to my man, Sincere yeah. Thompson. Sincere Thompson. The man who took me to Cognac, France, mm-hmm. and made me a Martel ambassador. Shout that's, out to. That's that's the dude right there. That is my man, Fifty Grand for life. Yep. Love him. And Frank Frehley. Okay. Frank Frehley was there. Yeah, and yes. what artists did y'all have signed? Because you mentioned Erica Badu. Uh, Chico DeBarge. Chico DeBarge. Um, we had an artist named Granique. Um, okay. She was from the DMV area. And Profile. Okay. Profile was a, was a four-guy group. Um, and I so I remember Pro- that group. Yeah, yeah, they had the song Liar. Yeah. That blew up. Yeah. So that, so that was the first group I A&R'd. Profile. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then as... I gotta. I'm sorry, Shantae. You know I know, but there may be somebody listening that does not know. What does an A and R do? So an A and R is short for artist and repertoire. Okay. And you basically, you know, you have the power to sign the artist. You pick the songs. You pick this if it needs a songwriter, producer. If you're finding a song that's already created, um, you know, it could be any of those things. But we would also get the songs mixed, mastered, right. everything to get to without the artwork, you know, everything that the musically we would we would handle. So do you go back to noontime immediately for some tracks for profile? Absolutely, that's what I did. <laughs> noontime was on every single album. Every single album. Yep. Noontime producers. Brian Cox, Jazzy Faye, J Dub, uh yeah. You're talking about some heavy hitting dudes right there. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Uh, Dent, Anthony Dent, yep. Uh-huh. So, yeah, you know, I, I showed love. Yeah. That's how I get down. So how how long did you stay over with Kedar? Did you did you transition when he went to Motown? I did. Okay. Yep. I transitioned with him, and once we became Motown, I don't know, I stayed, I think, for about four years, maybe. What happened know. with Motown and Kedar Massenburg? I think Kedar was... They, they, they. He lost his power when they, when they put him in that position in Motown. Like he could do it. When we were Kidar Entertainment, he'd be like, "Fuck you! I'm not turning it in, and it's gonna come out when it comes out." And right. They had to go by his rules. But once he became the president of Motown, that changed. We had to have structure. We had to have, you know, every three months something had to come out. You know, we were just throwing stuff out. You know, see what, seeing what sticks. Right. So. It, 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 it made it more difficult. And then when those things that you're throwing out don't produce the results, it's your fault. Right. But they need to have something they, come out. Every, they need to have something. Every yeah. three months. Yeah. Isn't that isn't that kind of like a, to the detriment of the artist? Yeah. Because the artists come to you and they believe in you, 
and they believe that you're going to do you right by them. Their, your, their life in your hands. Right. Yes. And then three months later, you really knowing this project is not ready, but you have to because of your deadlines with the parent company. Right. Put something out. So you just throw them out there and then they fail. Well, what happens, we could take we could take a while to 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 record the album. But once we, st- we once we were promoting a single. Right. Or promoting anything that had to do with that album. You got in that three month window. So it was like, OK, you're promoting this single. We got to put this album out, you know, within three months. Why? That's just the way it worked. Why Why can't you just let it bubble a little more until it takes off and do what it's really supposed to do and then put the album out? I don't know. I mean, maybe they do that now. You know? Right. But they didn't They didn't then. So it, it yeah, it was a tough situation. And, and you know, Kidar's the type of guy, he has a heart. He cares. He really yeah, cares he, about yeah, the artist. About so. his artist. He didn't. Yeah, so. He wouldn't sign nobody that he didn't right. have wasn't personally invested in in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Yeah. So he um I think I think he he took the, he you know he took it hard right. a lot of that hard you know Uh-huh and when did I think it, I think they didn't set him up to win Yeah well you know that's the way of the world sometimes yeah. When did it end for you guys over there Did you leave Um I left a year before he did Okay uh, why did you decide to leave I well I felt I saw how they you know I saw how they were sabotaging a lot of our records Okay. Um, I saw that. Who's the uh, parent company to Motown? At Universal. The time? Universal. Okay. Um, I saw that we weren't set up to win. Uh huh. And I felt. Who else? Uh, excuse me. Who else? Before you finish that, who else was under that Universal umbrella at the time? What other subsidiaries were there? Um, was Def Jam there at the time? No, Def Jam wasn't there at the time. Okay. It was um, Charles Suit had Charles Suit and Steve Rifkin. Both had something under that umbrella at the time. Um, we were officially Universal Motown, right? But it still wasn't like we. we it was still us against them. It was weird. Yeah, you're, like, you're competing with with yourself, right? Like yeah. everything that comes out, it's a it's a it's a hard competition for everybody because you putting the record out, Charles Sutton and, and and Steve Rifkin's getting the record out. Everybody's trying to go for that same chart position or that same hit record at the right. same time. Right. Instead of us figuring out, okay, well, here we're gonna put this one, and then we're gonna, you know, we're gonna work collectively as a team. It just, it just didn't work. It was all separate companies. Yeah. So Universal is basically sitting there throwing everything out there, and if something sticks and it blows up, then we make our money back from all the money we spent on this other shit. Right. And then fuck this other shit. And sometimes when they threw it out there, it would take off. You know. Uh huh. It it would do that. What What is the record that you guys had that Universal threw out there and it took off? Uh well, Kim took off. I signed Kim. You Kim, signed Kim. I signed Kim. My wife yeah. loves Kim. Yeah, but see, Kim already had a, a base. He already had a foundation. He already was selling records out his trunk. Oh wow! So you know, me signing him, it you know, it just put a machine behind him. So right. that immediately took off. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Kim is a really great artist too. Yes, he's, yeah, he's fantastic. Dope. And he had a great backstory. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think he, I think people really felt him, and and he resonated with people. So. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah, yep. great. So you leave a year before and voluntarily walked out the door. Yes. To do what? To, um, in my mind, I was like, I'm gonna do TV and film. Okay. And 
I thought it would be a lot easier to get in. You know, nobody said Shantae, your services are not wanted here no, anymore. Nobody said you that. just said I'm done. I just said I'm done. Did you stay in New York? You was done. You gonna stay in New York and do television and film? Or you going to L.A.? Would you? Uh, go? I was gonna stay in New York and do it because there were a lot of you know there was a lot of um, productions happening right in, in New York. So that that was the plan. I had cushion. I had a nice little cushion, and I said, okay, I'm gonna give myself a year to figure this out. Uh-huh. And um, that was probably not a smart decision. <laughs> Why not? Because that it was it was tough. I didn't I didn't I didn't realize you know that the the TV and film the production they don't they didn't really respect music. They looked at us like you know we were just handed stuff and you know we we're getting paid a lot of money and we were lazy kind of people and. They really, coming in, they were like, we don't care you were a senior vice president, you know, you right. could be a PA. Really? It was that type of thing. So I did. I, I, I did PA. You PA'd for who? I PA'd for various productions. Because I was like, you know, I'm going to humble myself and I'll start from the bottom, you know, I, I'll do that. And when people would see me, they would think, oh, you're over here. You're running stuff over here. And they had no idea I was even a PA. Right. You're like, no, I'm I'm a PA right, over here. Right, I'm a PA. Yep. Right. I'm basically go get the coffee, go get this, go get that, make sure this person get there, when you grab talk that, about do this, do humble, that. Yeah. That's humble. <laughs> who, who hired you as a PA first? Um, it was it was a couple. Were you of working video, on videos and stuff? Yeah, it was a couple of video shoots. I was a PA. I, I remember Rick Ross was on one, and and Trey Songs, and you know, and I knew all the artists, so they were just like, yo, Shantae. Right. But had no clue. Oh, wow. So I'm trying to hide that I'm a PA. Right. <laughs> so you go from a senior vice president. Yeah. That you walked away from the label. Yep. You know, even, did you ever have any second, any doubts about that? Any second, any? I did. Reservations like, damn, maybe if I, I should have stayed over there. And yeah. even if Kidal left, maybe they'd have kept me within the universal system. Yeah, I did. I did have that. But then Kedar reassured me and was like, no. Like, I, I was his right hand. Right. He was like, they would have got rid of you. You know? Right. They, they, if they didn't keep me, it, they wouldn't have kept you. Right. Because they blow out the whole. Yeah, they blow out everybody. So everybody got that, that kind of made me feel better. Like, okay, I wasn't, you know. How, uh, long, how long were you PAing? Uh, if that's the term. I might, yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> Might have made that up, PA. I probably did about a good five or six uh shoots and various projects and then I was like I'm not doing this shit no more. <laughs> so I had to I had to figure it out and I said okay, I'm going to I'm going to start producing my own content. Right. And and give proof of concept so that people will say, "Oh, you can produce on this side." You right. know, you're not just a music producer. So that's what I did. And it, what's um, the first thing you did? It was called Style Aficionados. It was two about uh two stylists um two gay stylists. Uh-huh. Um Dalimu and Terrell, and okay. they were and see the thing about it is Terrell was was styling all the hip hop artists, uh-huh. and um, he I don't even know if the hip hop artists knew whether he he was gay or not. I, I don't I guess it didn't matter because he was so dope, right? Um, to them, but uh, you know, he, I just saw compelling personalities and I, I I fell in love with them. So I said I wanna I wanna tell their story. Right. And so that's that's what I did. I shot um, webisodes, took it to Ryan Glover, who was at the time at um, at Turner. 
Peachtree TV. Okay. And sold it to them to air on. Um, they they were doing a new a new like website or uh-huh. whatever, and and doing webisodes back then on their site. So yeah, so they bought it. So I was able to monetize it. Oh wow! And then a guy named you put Drano, your own money up for it. Yeah, I did. Oh wow! And then a, a guy named Drano, uh, who is a friend of mine um, from the West Coast, he got the same webisodes to James Debose. Uh-huh. And James had uh, Keisha Cole's show. Uh, all the, like he was running BET. He had all the shows on BET, and he loved it. So he started hiring me for his shows. Okay. So I was like, okay, I'm in now. Yeah. So now you got your foot in the door. Now I got my foot in the door, but they don't automatically make you a producer. So I was doing, you know, I was doing the logging. You know, I just was getting in where I fit in. Right. Yeah. Doing everything at the same time. Yep. Just running around doing everything. And when did you run across Mr. Roger Bob? Um, a friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine, Erica Monroe Kennerly, because she's married. Um, she knew Roger. She knew Roger very well, and she just kept telling Roger about me. And she was like, "She's there. She's working with James." And, and by then, I by now I'm like story producer. Right. And, you know, I'm 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 really doing some things. So she kept. You know, trying to introduce us. Um, I met Roger, and then he was like, "Well, do you want to do post production?" And I didn't really know anything about post production, <laughs> so, but I was like, uh, "You know, I know I know post for you know is editing, and you know, but I didn't know online, offline. I didn't I didn't know any of that." But I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I love post." <laughs> 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 is this another typing story out of you? Yeah. I'm like, I love both. And he's like, well, we got a supervising post-producer. I mean, po- yeah, uh, post-production supervising job at Tyler Studios. That's what we're looking for. Right. And I said, I'll do it. And he was like, okay, I got to set up an interview and whatever, whatever. So um, I wasn't. At the time, I wasn't living here. I was still living in New York. I just used to come back and forth all the time. Right. And so they, I came here for the, I came to Atlanta for the interview. Um, I got the job, and I, I didn't go back home for like maybe a month to get my clothes. So I had to like figure it out. Right. So what exactly did that title entail? What so, is your what is your job exactly? Yeah, so it was over all of the TV projects he had. So I basically managed all of the editors. There were about eight editors um, and made sure they had everything they needed, you know, to, to edit these, this, the um, House of Pain and Meat Brown. Right. And I would, um, I had to deliver all the shows to Turner. So I had to follow it through the whole process, through the editing process, through the approval process, through the sound design mixing process, through the color process, all of that. I had to keep a schedule of everything. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't know it all? (laughs) No. Could they tell? Or did you... I'm sure they could, but I was like, I'm going to figure it out. Right. You was faking it till you make it, huh? Yeah, I'm going to figure it out. Wow. I delivered 222 episodes. Wow. With no experience. With no experience. Wow. I knew enough from sitting with editors on projects that I worked on. I mm-hmm. knew about the editing process, but I didn't know about sound design and 
Did you have to go to every edit session? Yeah, well, I they we were all together, in in the same, you know, like area it was just a post area. Right. And so yeah, I I, I oversaw everything. So they were. But now I'm a post rat. I love it. So how? Well, how are you following each and every episode? You got the script in front of you. You know. Yeah, we we have the script. Um, we have the final script. We get copies of every single uh, any any change they make in the script. Right. Anything. And Tyler would always have to come and approve everything. Roger would always have to come approve, you know, approve everything. So they look at every single episode before it goes out. Yep. And say, okay, good. Right. Or no. Or no. What happens if it's an or no? They'll make the changes they want, and then they have to come back and approve that. So they go back and refilm stuff. Make not, the no, not, not refilm, but just, you know, make changes oh, in, the little... in, in editing. But, but, right. but sometimes we would, um, you know, do an ADR, which is right. like, you know, add audio if it needed. Or mm-hmm. we would, or you might, you might reshoot a, a particular scene. Uh, and we had strict, strict, strict deadlines. So I would put those schedules together. So I'm, I'm dealing with Turner. I'm dealing with Turner execs. Right. Telling them when I can deliver, you know, trying to figure out when I can deliver. And, and yeah, all of and that. And you're dealing with Tyler Perry. And I'm dealing with Tyler Perry. And you're Perry. dealing with Roger Bob. And Tyler Perry, from what I hear, I've never, I met him once, but I've never had an opportunity to sit down and talk to him. That's very demanding with the things that he wants. And he what, is. And what he needs. He He's is. A perfectionist. But, it, but, but it, was, it was an awesome experience because it was like boot camp to me. Right. And it was invaluable. Like my, the reason why I can produce the way I produce is because of being there. Right. Yeah. Are you working your ass off over there? Yes. I didn't have a life. It was 12, yeah. 14, 16 hour days. Yep. Jeez. Yep. Like you got to really want this shit to do you it. I don't want it. And so Tyler was the type of guy that he would just wake up one day and say, okay, I want to, I want to shoot in the middle of delivering six episodes a uh-huh. week, which is unheard of. Six He's, episodes a week? Well, t- yeah, we would deliver three of House of Pain and three of Meet the Browns. Okay. So that's six. Right. And I was overseeing both shows. Right. He would say, okay, I want to do a talk show from my movie. You know, why did I get married? I want to do a talk show, a late night talk show. So let's do that, too. So he would, he would just throw that in the mix. <laughs> and so then uh, one day I said, well, I want to produce it. And everybody came to me like, are you fucking crazy? Why would you do that? Like, you have a solid job. Why would you right. put yourself in the fire? Because if you write that show, if you if you write the script for that and it goes to hell in a handbasket, you're going to get fired. Right. And I was like, I got to take the chance. Wow. So I ended up producing uh, like four talk shows he, that he decided to do. Mm-hmm. And what were those shows? It was um, it was called the Tyler Perry Show. It okay. aired on Turner at night. Uh-huh. It, just a marketing tool for his movies. Okay. Um, like Janet Jackson, Jill Scott, they all like made appearances. But I wrote the script, so I I had to deal with Tyler one on one. What was that experience like? Yeah, it was awesome. You know, I don't have anything bad to say about him. Right. Yeah, I. But he's very particular about what he wants. Him. Oh, very. Like yeah, like. I had to get with it. Like he would say, "Okay, yeah, I want to change this. I want to change that. I want to." And then he'd be like, "Okay, you ready? Let's go shoot." And I'm like, "Oh shit! Wait, <laughs> I gotta make changes." Like I mean, right. I mean, it was very stressful. Wow. But I did it. But it got you on your A game. Got me on my A game. A hundred percent on your A game. Yep. Wow. And if you're not ready for that, you you just you you're better not, be you're ready. You're not ready. You're not ready. Yeah, you better so be you ready. So you gotta you just you gotta stay ready. Yeah. And um, 
So I got I have producer credits for that, and then I ended up also doing some uh, his DVD, all everything, all the editorial for that for his plays. Right. So not only am I working on the TV shows, now I'm working on the plays, talk show, everything. Wow. Yeah. That play had to be crazy. Yeah. So you're working weekends, holidays, everything. Nonstop. It's just nonstop. You just go home, go to bed, get up, go to work. Yep. Jeez. Boot camp. Two, two and a half years I did that. Two and a half years. And then why did you move on? He was starting a new show. Um, I don't I don't remember. It was, it was one of... It's one of the shows that ended up going to own. Uh huh. And I said uh, to uh, Ozzy and Will, I uh, Will Rue, shout out to them. I was like, it's not fair for me to start a whole new show because you know he doesn't just do ten episodes. Like he'll do sixty. Right. So I was like, it's not. I, I don't want to tell you know commit to you for that. Um, when I know my heart's not in it to keep to keep working like this. You know? Right. I want to work on some projects that I want to work on. Okay. So they understood. And and the thing about post-supervisors, it's not easy to find somebody who understands or, you know, who can really do that. Right. Um, so, you know, I gave them my notice. And at, and at the time, Roger had just left, too. Mm-hmm. So the timing of it, they were kind of like, okay, uh, is it because Roger? <laughs> but, um, you know... I, I was like, I'll I'll help transition the the next person, you know, in, into my position, but it's time to go. Right. So that's what I did. You step out on faith a lot, don't you? I do. God got His arms all <laughs> over you, Shante Page. God got His arms all over you. So how you did? Was it was it immediately your plan to get back with Roger or no? Or you just you just ready well, to go yeah, do your own thing? Yeah, I I I plan on doing some projects with Roger. Uh, Roger's my guy. I love him. Shout um, out to Roger Bob. Yeah, shout my out dude. to Roger. Um, and it just happened that Keith Klinkscale, who who was at ESPN at the and time, and Vibe before that, and Vibe before shout that, out to Keith. that, that's my guy too. So he calls me and says, "Hey, I have this. Um, it's called the Battle, mm-hmm. and." Um, it it had a season and you know for whatever reason they didn't want to go with who you know was producing it before just so happens it was the person that fired me a long time ago i'm not going to say his name wow and he said um yeah um so we'd like i'd like you to you know take over i need you to get a producing partner so i went to roger right and that's what we did oh wow so that was the first project out the gate both of us leaving Tyler. That's what we did, and I was executive producer of it. He was executive producer, right? So it was a good look. Yeah, an excellent look. And Keith uh, threatened me with death, and was like, "You can't go over budget, like, <laughs> not a penny." And no. we didn't. You didn't. And we didn't. No, we you didn't. kept it under budget, huh? Yep, we did. Wow. Yep. Wow, that is that's an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. So, are you still working with Roger? Uh, well, I do uh, Ricky Smiley for real with Roger. Yes, with Roger Bob. Uh, we five seasons in. Yeah, and um, I had a pleasure. Yes. Of doing that show with you guys, yes. we had a great. And great I brought time. you in on that. Yes, you like, did. I yes. saw you. I was like, oh, we gotta have Ed. Yeah. 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 It was fun. Yeah. A lot of a lot of fun. So y'all did five seasons so far. Five seasons so far. Um, we we don't know yet. We haven't heard yet if there's going to be another season or mm-hmm. if that was that. Um. But the the ratings were really good. Um, people love it. Yeah, love the I show. get I get recognized for being on it. 
Yeah. People, I saw you on Ricky Smiley for real, man. That was fun. That was funny as hell when you was on there with your wife and y'all was doing this, that, and the third. I was like, thank you. Oh, man, I remember when y'all did the thing and Gary choked and y'all put us on. I was cracking up. Yes. People just really, really enjoy the show. They love the show. Yes, they do. Yeah, you so, do. Uh, yeah, so I did that with him. Um, you never know. You probably do some other stuff with him, too. Um, yeah. I think he's getting a chance now to see me in a different light because I'm, I'm, I'm doing my own show running and... Mm-hmm. And running everything through my production company. So he knows. He's like, oh, okay. She can really handle everything. Right. And it's, so, a, it's a workload. Uh, it's, it's not beyond. easy. beyond. There's no stress like that. It's so. That stress is like. What is, what, what's what's the hardest part? Is the hardest part getting the budget? What's, what's the hardest part? Well, you're it? handling the budget. You're trying to stay under budget. You're paying people. You're, you're putting out fires. You're hiring all the crew. Wow. You're handling um, you know, the filming, everything that's you're goes depending wrong. and you're depending on people to be professional. And you're depending on people to be professional and to do what they're supposed to do and you're handling the post side. You're handling I mean right. everything. But I would not be ready for that had I not had the experience with Tyler. Right. I just I just wouldn't. Yeah. Because when you're doing your own thing and you and you got the budget and you're depending on people to be professional, people don't understand that time is money. Right. So, like when we were talking about the show that you currently have, and and Labrie was here, right? And Labrie was like, "Well, Shantae didn't like me at first because I used to be late." And I'm like, "You late? You fucking up money? Yeah, you fucking up the money." And it wasn't I don't like her; I love her. But right. I was like, "You're you're fucking up my money." So what right. I started doing with her, I just started shooting the scenes without her. <laughs> and I was like, "Because she you, got it, you're then, not right? gonna be here." Yeah. So she would come strolling in, and then a couple scenes she. It was like the tail end. She didn't even know what the heck was going on. And I naturally followed that. And I'm right. like, now you got to explain that in yeah. your interview. Like, it's just whack. But I'm not going to hold up a whole entire crew because you had to get your makeup, hair, and whatever ready. Right. But she gets it now. When she, you should have had that ready already yeah. on the days when you know that you're shooting. Right. You should do that two, three hours ahead of time. Yeah. Before you know you have to be somewhere. Let me give you all a classic example of how money can get fucked up and what. Shantae, as a producer and line producer and people that handle money, will go through. We did a movie that was released in 1993 called Who's the Man? Oh, And then Dr. Dre and I played barbers that mm-hmm. became police officers. We are horrible barbers. We became cops. So we have all of these celebrities in it. We mm-hmm. do a scene where Nick, who is the proprietor of our barbershop, gets blown up in the barbershop and he dies. And then... Dre and I walk by, they blow out the whole front of the barbershop, and then the next scene is the funeral scene, and we had slated Mary J. Blige to sing Amazing Grace. Mm-hmm. Mary was coming. Mm-hmm. 6.30 in the morning, all the trucks show up at the at the church, everybody's ready. 8 o'clock call time, no Mary. 9 o'clock, no Mary. 10 o'clock, no Mary. She never showed I mean, her people are there. They're calling. They're trying to figure out where she is. She never showed up. An entire day shoot went down the fucking drain. And this is a this is not a big budget movie. Right. We only had three million dollars to do the movie, but that shit cost a lot yeah, that, that's, that's, of that's fucking down the toilet, money. Because you still have Gone. to pay those people. And then we got to reshoot the scene with Bowlegged Lou singing. Thank God, Bowlegged Lou from Full Force was part of the cast, and we were just. Rewrote it and said, well, let him, his character, right. 40, sing Amazing Grace. Right. 
thank God that that was even possible, that we didn't have to go out and try to find somebody else. So you, now you understand when somebody is slated to do something and film something and you're not on time and the crew is there, the crew is ready, because the crew got to get paid. They don't give a fuck. Right. And these are teamsters. Yeah. You have to pay them. There's a dude that sits in the truck. Yeah. If you got like the 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 uh the trucks where the dressing rooms are, there's a truck attached to it, and then there's all these dressing rooms. There's a guy whose job it is as a union member mm-hmm. to sit in that truck that pulls all the other to the dressing rooms. And he gets paid to stay there all yeah, day. They don't they don't play. All he do is get out, he smokes cigarettes when it's lunchtime, he goes eat lunch, and then he comes back and sits in the front seat of the fucking truck mm-hmm. for 14, 15, 16 hours. And getting paid out of his ass. So when you get an opportunity to do television or film, Shantae, when I did Ricky Smiley for real with y'all, was I ever late? Nope. No. Never. Never. And no. always professional, and you always were, like, ready to go. Whatever y'all need to do. You know why? Because, first of all, it's an honor and a privilege for you to be able to even work in this business. Right. It's not a. It's not a birthright. It's not something right. that you, you know, that you're just, oh, well, I'm a superstar. I don't care. I hear so many horror stories mm-hmm. about people dealing with people. And there's been so many stories that I've been on so many sets and so many PAs and assistant directors and stuff like that have told me stories about some people that have been absolutely horrible to work with. I am shocked and amazed that they're doing a Bad Boys 3 right now. Because from what people told me, Bad Boy 2, Martin was a fucking pain in the fucking ass. He had them build a fence around his trailer. A fence around his trailer. And in order to talk to him, this is what the PA told me on the, when I was doing a commercial with Reverend Run. You would have to talk to his guy mm-hmm. to for his guy to get on a golf course to go and tell Martin that you were ready for him on the set. Well, let me let me let me say something in his defense on that. I don't know about the building the thing around the trailer, but show running, I have an understanding of like why even when we heard about Steve Harvey and he said people just can't come to him and talk to him. Well, I understand that. Yeah, I, I because everybody just comes at you. Yes. You're, you're running a show. Yes. And uh, somebody will come to you and say, hey, uh, you know, where do I get this? Or what location are we going to? Or where's my paycheck? Or, okay, right. we have an accountant. There's a supervising That's producer. Right. There's all I these understand. people. Why the hell would you come to me, the EP showrunner, asking me these questions? But they do that. Yeah. So you got to you gotta be set surprised. those boundaries. What you call us here and they want to say what's up? Yeah, I mean, out of oh. nowhere, when you're yeah. doing something, oh, yeah, when you're yeah, working, yeah. which McCall is out, out there and they want to say what's up. Now, Will didn't have a fence around his shit. And Will signed every autograph and took every picture. And the PA could knock on Will's door and say, Mr. Smith, we're ready for you. And he would come. But that see, shit what Martin see, was see, doing, he, he was gassed up. No, but he probably had that temperament. Like, everybody doesn't have the temperament to be yeah. able to. But and, and in the case of Steve Harvey, I just thought that. It shouldn't have been a memo. Steve should have just said something to people. He gather everybody and say, "Listen, this is what this is how we're gonna operate from moving forward." Because that dude gets up, does a morning show, then he got to go do his own his talk show. Like his no hustle is, is out of is out of control. Yeah. And you trying to get yourself mentally prepared to do the show, you don't have time to talk to every damn body that comes in, and people shouldn't. Yeah. They shouldn't be able to get to him like yeah. that. 
They shouldn't. You, you should chill out. Nobody should be able to. When he's walking from his dressing room to the set to do his show, nobody should be able to run up to him. Right. Nobody. And tell him nothing. Everything should be allocated and taken care of. I understand that part, but some people do get a little gassed up. Yeah. Yes. That's true. They do. And they that's make true. your job very fucking difficult with what you're trying to do as a producer and as whatever in whatever capacity you're in. Yeah, that's they true. Make it, and, they don't, and they forget that it's a blessing to be even in that position. I have mm-hmm. never been in a position where I'm making $20 million a film or $10 or five, I mean $10 million well, or yet. $5 million. Not yet. Right. If I ever got in that position, I'd probably be on the set before y'all pulled the fuck up sitting in my own car. Like, y'all ready? Let's go. Let's right. do this because it's 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 not promised to you. Right. And when you get there, you should be a little more humble and remember why you worked so hard to get there. And, and be prepared, be ready to go. Like, is that so hard? Right. I'm oh, I don't for, play but, around. But for some people it is. Uh, and I don't understand it. But yeah. for some people Sometimes yeah. it takes their ass to hit rock bottom before until the movies dry up. Right. Until they find another star and they move on to the next person for people to, to understand. It. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I don't, and a lot of, this is a lot of stuff that I don't understand about this business. Like, we have a lot of artists out there. You know, you reach out, you know somebody 20, 25 years, and you say, hey, man, could could you do my podcast? And yeah, man, I'd love to. And then you call them a million times, they don't get back to you. And then you go see them do the white man's podcast. Right. Huh? Yeah. It's fucked up. Yeah. And then they see you. And it's still, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, hey, what's up, dude? You know how I am, Shantae. Yeah, you I'm, keep I'm it real. I'm quick. Fuck you out my face. It right. <laughs> I was about to say. I done told yeah. fuck out my face, dude. Yeah. You're so full of shit. Go run over there and do that other shit. But when you were struggling and you needed somebody to give you a look, we're the same people that gave you a look. Right. But you won't give us a look. It's like, it's, it's, it's just insanity to me. I don't, I don't understand how you keep your brain wrapped around this shit, Shantae. Yeah, but, I mean, everybody has... And it's tougher for a woman. Yeah, it is. It's super tough for yeah. a woman. And you're a beautiful woman, Shantae, so Thank it's, it's got to be double tough for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's hook up, you know. You know, you want to hook up and... Well, nothing compares to the music business back in the day. That was the worst. Wow. That was the worst. Wow. Anything went. They come at you any way they want it, you know. It, it, now, t- today, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a breeze compared yeah. to what we went. And then through. You, 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 right now, you're hearing so many horror stories, yeah, about people that you had no idea that was doing that kind of shit. Yep. Back in the days when I was on MTV and it, and then I had the label because I had a label. We had No Face Records through through Rush Associated. Mm-hmm. Me and my partner Sean and, and Mark, we had Rush Associated, and then you hear. All of this shit about Russell. You hear this stuff about AJ Calloway blew me the fuck away. Yeah. That's why I always try to keep it professional. When you are dealing in a prof- a professional capacity with a woman, deal with that woman in a professional capacity. Right. If she says to you, if you're single and she's single, and let her make the first move if mm-hmm. she's interested in you. A lot of these guys use their power to try to get a woman in the bed. And that, that's, I don't think that's the way you ever want to be with a woman in the first place. You know what I mean? You always you always want to be, women are there to do their job, and, and nine times out of ten, they're smarter than you. So, right. shit. Yeah, but it, it, it was wild back then. It was, so I'm, not, it was I'm insane. never surprised when I hear the stories, because I'm like, I know how many How'd people How'd you fend that shit stuff. off? Um, I just, I would just kind of ignore them. 
You know, I was like, I'm not, I'm not dealing, I'm not here for that. I'm not dealing with that. Like, right. once you kind of shut them down a little bit, they're just like, oh, okay, she's, she's not, she's not a, you know. Yeah, she ain't one of them. She's not easy. You know? <laughs> so, but yeah, they'll try you. But of course you have seen and have heard of your, your peers compromising themselves. Yeah. yeah. All the time. Yeah. Doesn't that make it harder for you as a woman to succeed? When they allow themselves to be used like that? I don't I never looked at it like that. Um I looked at it like that, you know, that's their price, you know, that they that they're going to have to deal with. Um I personally never looked at it like they like it affected me, but I have had men come on to me and you know, I'll be like asking for a track or I want to get with the you know, the producer to get with my group and they'd be like, "Okay, well, I'm trying to I'm trying to fuck you." I'm like, "What?" Straight like that? Straight like that back then? Yeah, all the time. I'm like, uh and some men that I hear talking, talking all this crap on on the internet. I'm like, you were one of them too, like really? Yes, yes. Dudes that are now standing up, Stand, yes, trying to defend talking the women, shit. talking right. at me too like, shit that uh, we, we need to yeah. do better. Right. I'm like, you were down. You came at me sideways, like wow. Yeah, you were wilding back then. Wow. So, I am yeah. so glad yes. that there's gonna be nobody. <laughs> That could say Ed Lover ever mm-hmm. said anything inappropriate or did anything yeah. to them or with or next to them or in, there was like, no oh, skeletons in my closet like, like that. Sit down somewhere, because like, <laughs> I know if I feel this way, there's other women that yeah. feel this way too. Because yeah. you know, a few of them were wild back then, right? So yeah, that that's crazy. That's crazy. You know, you're 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 a true inspiration to. Every young black female Thank walking you. this planet Earth. And you're living proof that if you stick to your guns and you work hard yeah. and you learn, even when you bullshitted your way in right. and stuff, <laughs> which I find hilarious, yeah. right, that you can actually do it. Yeah. Fake it till you make it. Yeah. What's next yeah. for you? Films? Uh, films, yes. I actually talked to 50 Um Yesterday, we're going to, he's going to executive produce a, the next show I'm doing uh, with a friend of his. So, Want to give us a little sneak on what the show's going to be about, Shante? It's juicy. It's a reality show, which is going to be different, but he's not, I don't, I don't know. I mean, he's done non-scripted, but I don't know if he's ever done reality, but it's a juicy reality show. Okay. Um, Reality show pays the bills, but. Because movies take so long yeah, to get them greenlit and whatever. Yeah. But I, I definitely have that on the horizon. Uh, documentaries. Okay. Are, you, are you trying to do it on, on the uh, on the network you're on? Or are you trying to go major network with the, um, uh, I want I, I, this one. This one's going to be major. It's okay. Be major network. Yeah. Yeah. I know how you get well, I love, But I love the network I'm on right now with this show because I love the fact that we can be on any device. That, right. You know, that anytime you want to see it, you pull it up and, you know. I love I love that with the urban movie channels and the Netflix yeah. and shout you know, out to so them. the digital and shout we're not to held movie to um, Bob Johnson the censorship and, right yeah you ain't got to pull no punches right you do what you want to do thank you Shantae Page thank you thank you so I much enjoyed it. you thank are you. an amazing 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 woman and we we really pray for you all the time and we appreciate thank you. you let's I'll come on some of the podcast I'm at level peace out y'all peace out. <laughs> Come on.
This Ed Lover podcast is being done in conjunction with Cigars International. Make sure you check out CigarsInternational.com for all your cigar needs. This episode of Come On Son, the podcast is produced and engineered by co-executive producers Krista Hayes and Kimana Paulus in downtown Chicago. This is an official Loudspeakers Network podcast.